you've probably realized that we haven't yet had a Bible reading. Um, we're not going to have just one Bible reading tonight. Um, some of the readings will come up on the screen, but I've got quite a lot of readings, and so I'm just going to um, do them as I go along, really. I think the songs that we've sung have been really lovely, and they've talked a lot about who Jesus is and, and what he did by dying on the cross for us. But also running through is a real theme of how um, there are times when we really do need God in our lives and when we feel very much um, surrounded by difficulties and problems and troubles, etc. And something I've been thinking about for quite a while now, and that's the whole sort of sense sometimes in our lives of being left behind or a feeling of being left out. And what I want to do this evening is just to um, give some examples in the Bible of people who have been left out or left behind and how it can relate to our lives today. And there's quite a lot of instances of people on the fringe of events in the Bible. First people I'm going to look at are actually Jesus' disciples. Now, when I was looking at this, there does seem to be three layers of disciples. The first reading we're going to have, which will come up on the screen, is when Jesus called the 12 disciples. And in Luke chapter 6, we can read, One of those days, Jesus went out into the hills to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Must have been awful for that other Judas, mustn't it, at times? So there we have the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. And also it um, reiterates that again uh, later on in Luke. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and cure diseases. So they all 12 of them were really part of the in crowd at that time. But we also know that Jesus had three very special disciples and they're often mentioned when various situations arose. Just three of those situations were when Jairus's daughter was very unwell and um, Jairus, the ruler, asked Jesus to come and um, pray for his daughter that she would be made well. And in Luke chapter eight we read, when Jesus arrived at the house, he didn't let anyone go with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. And then also we read on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know when Jesus went up onto the mountain and um, he was transfigured before them. And he said, Jesus took Peter, John and James again with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was crucified, all the disciples were in the garden. And it said in Mark chapter 14, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. But he then took Peter, James and John again along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So very often 
we read about the 12 disciples, but the three very special disciples, if you like. But also, we read that in Luke chapter 10, he also appointed 72 others. I'll just read it to you. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was to go. So we can see here, we've got three tiers. We've got the 72 general disciples, as it were. We've got the 12 special disciples. And we've got the three very much in the inner core. And I wonder, really, what did the other nine disciples really think when they could see that the other three had much more attention and were obviously um, much closer to Jesus? Did they feel jealous? Did they feel resentful? We know that they often quarreled. For instance, we read in Luke again, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. So the disciples were arguing. And it also, um, in um, Luke chapter 9, it also says the same thing in Mark. Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. So you can imagine these 12 men all being a bit crabby with each other at times, really. And then the other 72 disciples, we don't really hear a lot more about them, really. But in John chapter 6, we read, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus asked the twelve, you do not want to leave too, do you? You can really sense the disappointment in Jesus. He'd got these disciples around him, he'd given power and authority, he was teaching them, and yet they couldn't accept what he was saying, and some of them were drifting away from him. And we know that when Jesus said that to the twelve disciples, Peter's famous words, to whom shall we go, you have the words of eternal life. And it made me think, do you feel left out at times? And does it affect your attitude to others? It's very easy when you feel as though you're part of the in, in crowd, as it were, you're part of the main body of the church. But through various reasons, you may feel on the fringes at times. And does it make you feel resentful? Does it make you feel jealous? And we really have to sort of look at our attitude, really. But we also read that after Jesus' death and resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, we read that all the disciples were together. We're going to have that come up. Acts chapter 1, we read, Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. So we've got the 11 there. They all joined con constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. 
So something brought them back together again, didn't it? And the, the one thing that brought them back together again was Jesus. They recognized who Jesus was. And it's the same with us, really. We're not all the same. We're very different. Some people we get along with very well. Some people we just about tolerate, really. But God in his word says that we have to bear with one another for the sake of the gospel. And it made me think, are there people that you know that actually you're really at odds with or you don't get on very well with? And I really feel that God is saying, bear with one another. Um, many of you know that I work in the Christian bookshop at the top of London Street. And when I first started there, there was somebody who was working there, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but who I really didn't get along with very well at all. I, I, it, they irritated me. And one morning, God very clearly said to me, bear with them. And it really brought me up short, really. And it was somebody who I wouldn't naturally relate to very well. But it did really speak to me. And I've had a reasonably good relationship with them ever since because I think actually we do have to bear with one another don't we we will never get on well with everybody but for the sake of the gospel let's get on with each other so we've had a look at the disciples but I'm now going to look at Mary Jesus's mother now if anybody was part of the in crowd she was I mean it's not that long since Christmas although it does seem ages away doesn't it really you, we all know the Christmas story where Mary was chosen um, to bear Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, we read when the angel came to Mary and said, do, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will give birth to a son, a son of the Most High. Now, she had a real experience of God. And we know that she treasured everything that the angel had said to her, everything that happened to her and Joseph when they went to Bethlehem and they had to flee to Egypt. And then when God spoke to Joseph yet again in a dream to come back to Israel. So she was very much um, in the thick of bringing up Jesus. But... The day came when Jesus moved emotionally away from her. And we get the story, it's the only story we really get of Jesus as a young boy, when they lost him and they were searching for him. And again, this reading will come up on the screen. The boy Jesus. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. You can sort of feel the build-up of frantic panic in them, can't you really? When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then Jesus said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And you can really, as a parent, understand the, the panic that they had, that they'd lost him. And I mean, you can imagine looking for your child for three days and not finding him. And you can almost feel as though Mary wanted to give him a wallop, really, when she actually found him, because there was a mixture of relief and anger and puzzlement, etc. I remember many years ago when my sister and I were children, um, my mum lost my sister. We were out shopping and she turned round and my sister Janie had just wandered off somewhere. Well, I mean, I wasn't particularly bothered, but mum obviously... <laughs> But mum obviously was, and I can still picture the panic in her face, you know, where had she gone? I think she was only about four. Um, anyway, eventually we found her. She was actually in a lost property office, sitting, sitting there eating an ice cream, totally unconcerned. But I can still remember the panic in my mum's face. And, you, you know, those of you who are parents, you can imagine that. And in a way, it was the first time I would imagine that Mary's little world around Jesus was really rocked and it made me think has Jesus been very close to you and very real to you for a long time but you're in a time in your life when it's a phase where you don't really understand what Jesus is about um, Jesus knew what he was doing he'd sort of come of age because he was 12 and he was really learning from the elders but his parents didn't understand. And sometimes in our own lives, we can just not understand really what is God doing in our lives. There are things happening to us that we really don't understand. But for Mary, things got more and more difficult. Um, we read um, that at one time when Jesus was actually teaching and preaching, they tried to see him. And in Luke chapter 8, we read, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, can you imagine how Mary might have been feeling? You know, she... And um, Jesus' brothers felt they had every right to get closer to God and to get closer to Jesus, rather. But Jesus knew what he was about. He knew what his mission was. And he'd really loosened the emotional ties that he had with his mother at that time. And then, in a way, things progressed and they got even worse for, Ma for Mary. Because in Mark chapter 3, we read... Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. Now can you imagine, you know, that we've got the progression of Mary. Jesus was born, she looked after him, she brought him up and then gradually he was distanced himself for, from her and they went from... Um, being very puzzled as to what he was about and then not being able to really get near to him and then thinking that he was mad, that he was out of his mind. And then how do you think she then felt as it then progressed when Jesus was crucified and she was there at the crucifixion to see her son being crucified? And Simeon's words when Jesus was brought to the temple after he was born 
must have really spoken to us, her heart because we, we know that in Luke chapter 2, Simeon said, and a sword will pierce, pierce your own soul too. So Mary had gone from being very much part of Jesus' world to really being left out and left behind. But that wasn't the end of the story for her because I read earlier in Acts chapter 1 when after Jesus had been crucified and um, he, the resurrection had happened and Jesus had gone into heaven, when I read in Acts chapter 1 about all the disciples being together praying and that last verse that I read that said they all joined constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. So they, they'd gone from thinking he was bonkers, thinking he was mad, thinking they needed to sort of bring him home and, and um, just get him out of the crowd and what he was doing, to actually recognising who Jesus really was. And there they were, reconciled to God, knowing that Jesus was indeed the saviour of the world. And it made me think, don't give up if you're praying for your family members. Sometimes, if you're the only Christian in a family, or you are surrounded by friends and family who aren't Christians, they can think you're a bit mad at times. You know, even going to church on a Sunday now is actually quite unusual, isn't it? Um, and, but I would say, keep praying, don't give up. Who knows, your family may be reconciled to God. I think, I think it's really important that we do keep praying for those that we love. Now, I've spent some time with the disciples and with Mary, and I just briefly want to just give two more examples of people who were left behind from the Old Testament. Now, King David was always seemed to be fighting battles with his enemies. He seemed to have boundless energy, really, but not all his troops did. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read the story of the Israelites fighting the Amalekites. The Amalekites had triumphed and they'd carried off David's wives and all the other troops' wives and families, etc. So they had to get up, go after the Amalekites and try and get them all back. So we read in 1 Samuel 30, David and the 600 men with him came to the Bezor Ravine where some stayed behind. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. And then they pursued the Amalekites, and in verse 18 we read, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they'd taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men, drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Bezor Ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. As David and his men approached, he greeted them. But all the evil men and the troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. 
David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He's protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All shall share alike. And David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. And I really like this passage because we don't all have the same strength. We don't all have the same opportunities to serve in the front line, as it were. You know, very often in life, we have to stay behind with the baggage, don't we? Um, and when I say baggage, it may be having caring responsibilities. It may be um, looking after children as they're growing up or looking after relatives, or maybe just not having the strength of other people. I know when I was looking after my mum and um, my husband, Ron, there was really not much else I could do, really, because it took all my time and energy to look after both of them. But that was only for a season. And it may be that you're in a season at the moment where you're having to do things that mean that you're not fully part of the church, that you do feel a bit left behind, really, you know, these 200 men were exhausted. They were left behind. But when David came back, they were able to um, enjoy and participate in the spoils. And I think that's the same, really, in a church. We are a family together. And you know in your family, some of your relatives are stronger than others. Um, some are much more able than others. And so it is in a church, really. And so I think when we are part of a, a, a body in a church we shouldn't feel that we're on the fringes or left behind if we haven't got the strength or the oomph or the gumption or the time that other people seem to have and I, I think we should just feel encouraged really and then finally I just want to talk about Gideon now we know that Gideon was used of God to fight the Midians now he started off with 32,000 men but God whittled it down to 300. And in Judges, we read the story. He had 32,000 men. The Lord said to Gideon, you've got too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength saved her, announced now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Can you imagine how Gideon felt, you know, to have 22,000 men leaving? Um, I mean, it was pretty well the whole of Carrow Road emptying, really, wouldn't it have been, really, while he was left with the 10,000. But he might have felt a bit encouraged and thinking, well, I've got 10,000 brave men still with me. But then the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men Take them down to the water and I'll sift them out there for you. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. You can almost hear Gideon gulping, can't you, really? So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tent, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. 
And when you read that story, the first lot of men volunteered um, to go away from the battle because they were afraid, they didn't want to fight. They went off of their own accord. But the second lot of men actually were prepared to fight. But God said, I don't want you to fight. You have to go home as well. And sometimes in our lives, there may be times when we actually want to do something, but we really sense that God is saying, no, I don't want you to do that. And you wonder how these, these men felt when they were sent back home, when they had volunteered to fight. And then with the 300 who were left, I mean, they must have looked at each other and thought, crumbs, we're never going to beat the Midians with just us lot. Um, and you can imagine how Gideon might have been feeling as well. But also, it was interesting, but with the 300 who stayed, they had to take over the jobs of the other people. They took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. And it made me wonder, how do you feel when you see somebody else taking over the jobs that you used to do? And it's very easy to resent people, isn't it? When you know that you were doing a job, you might have been doing it perfectly well and competently, but you sense that somebody else is taking it over and it's right perhaps for that person to be taking it over. And um, I just wondered if that had happened to you. But we know that Gideon won the battle and the whole of Israel was able to enjoy peace as a result of that battle being won. And so if we do feel left out, if we do feel sidelined, if we do feel that God is saying, no, I don't want you to do this, then we can still rejoice in the victory. Not everybody in the body of Christ can be on the front line. It may be that you are behind the scenes. It may be that you are having to go back home, as it were, because you haven't got the strength or the opportunity to actually be in the front line. But you can still pray, you can still encourage, and you can still be part of the victory. So it is very easy to feel envious of people, but we've all got very separate races to run. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, let us run with perseverance the particular race marked out for us. We've all got a path marked out for us individually. Sometimes on that path, we might feel left behind. We might feel a bit left out of things. But God wants to, us to learn and he wants us to teach things to teach us things in this particular season that we might be in at the moment. So I just want to have a moment's silence really, just for you to think about that, to think how God may be speaking to you about the time of, of life that you're in at the moment. You know, are you feeling left out? Are you feeling a bit left behind really because of various things that are either happening in your life or because you don't have the strength or the oomph that you once had. Let's just have a time of quiet. 